right. I, um, I've got to get my legs underneath me. And part of that, what that means is I've been away for two weeks and I just can't just slide back in and go, okay, uh, I have to uh, discern what the Holy Spirit's doing. And, and so I think I know where he's going. I, uh, you know, I was thinking earlier uh, that uh, I, so here I am, you know, 37 years old and <laughs> that's what it is. So wise. And uh, I realized, you know what I've realized in my 37 plus years? <laughs> Listening is an art. I have had to train myself to listen. I've had to train myself to focus. I've had to train myself to, you know, stop doing the, you know, counting the lights in the room or, you know, looking at how that person's glasses are a little like this and, or trying to p- figure out, did they hear what they just said? And uh, I've had to learn how to listen, and especially when it becomes repetitive. So one of, the, one of my former jobs was I uh, delivered propane uh, way back in the day. Not the kind that you get to drive around in the truck that has the big tank on it. No, this is another kind where you had to lift the tanks to take them to the forklifts. And uh, so I would drive around and... Um, Uh, This will probably show you that I am 37 years old, but I had cassette tapes. Some of you are going, I think I saw one on eBay. Um, But I would listen to speakers. I would listen to messages over and 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 over. And you know what I learned? I learned that I can hear the same message several times and think that I know it by heart. And as soon as I zoom out and kind of, Zoom back in. I've heard something I never heard before. And so I'm, I'm saying all of that because this topic that we are on is so incredibly important, big, inf- infinite. This is an infinite topic uh, that we're going to be talking about, that I've been talking about, which is about, we're using the word atonement, but basically... Basically, it falls in the line with this. It's the centrality of Jesus. And so the thing that I am uh, going to keep pleading with you is train yourself how to listen. Let me tell you what I, what I mean by that. Because as soon as I, if I listen intellectually, intellectually, my intellect is gleaning, constantly gleaning new New stuff. Just give me new information, new information, new information, new information, new information. And that's the way most of us listen. We listen for new information. It's interesting. We can watch a movie several times, but we can't listen to the same message several times. It's just kind of, you know. So, um, so but I'm gleaning for, for information. Just give me, uh, I want new information. And what I realized is, is information is good, but revelation is what brings transformation. And information, if it's just retained up here, it doesn't act, because we live down here. We live from the heart. We can say that we believe with our head and turn around and walk in the opposite direction with our heart. And that's because there's a disconnect between our head and our heart. And so the kingdom is meant to be experienced in the heart. It's, it's a heart thing. Jesus, you know, with, with the mouth, uh, we confess with the heart, we believe. So with that, I, so I'm setting that up because, uh, I, for whatever reason was thinking the other day about a conversation I had earlier this year with David Campbell. You guys know who David Campbell is? Friend of ours from Scotland. He'll be here in sometime. He's hilarious. Uh, and I was telling him, I was telling him about, it, it was actually, it was June, January the 20 something, because on the 13th is when I had the earthquake experience. So the earthquake experience was, um, uh, I was at home, I was asleep. It was, I was exhausted. I mean, guys, 
exhausted. I'd, in, um, <clears throat> I'd been up since 12.30 a.m. It was a Sunday. I'd been up since 12.30 praying for me. And uh, um, January the 13th, so uh, I go to bed and um, I'm, I'm dead asleep. And in the distance, I can hear thunder. And I, um, I'm, I'm laying there and I was so tired, I could hear the thunder and it woke me up, but it didn't pull me out of this dead sleep that I was in. I don't know the different phases or stages, but I was in the in-between stage, which is kind of the story of my life. But, um, but it wasn't enough to pull me out. So I remember being asleep and thinking, oh, wow, that must have been a really big lightning bolt because the thunder is still going on. And then it continued. And I thought, wow, that is a long time. And then I thought, wait a second, that's not thunder that's an earthquake. As soon as I thought that, I heard this boom crash and the, the, the house shook, the bedroom shook, the, 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 the pictures on the wall shook, everything shook. And I jumped out of bed and was like, oh my goodness, we've just had an earthquake. And I'm sitting there and it's, I'm, I'm standing there and it's pitch black and I'm thinking, oh dear God, what does this mean? Uh, you know, so I, I don't, I, I go to the bathroom uh, in, because that's, I just wanted to see what had fallen from the walls. Nothing had fallen. Everything was still in place. And I, here I am trying to make sense of all this because there is nobody in this world that can tell me that what I experienced didn't happen. You're not going to be able to do it. Different ones said, well, maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was a vision. Maybe it was, I was like, I, I, I don't know. I literally felt the bed shake. I heard the, the, everything rattle. I heard it all. So I jumped up. So I'm trying to make sense of all this. And I, I was so tired. Well, first I started thinking, well, what, surely they're not dynamiting. Like, I don't even know where the dynamite place is, but they wouldn't be dynamiting it. And I looked at the clock and it was like 11 o'clock. And I thought, I've only been asleep for two hours. Are you kidding me? And, um, and then I thought, uh, well, maybe it was an earthquake or a tremor. And, you know, for whatever reason, it bypassed our, I don't know, I'll read about it in the morning. Go to bed and wake up and get on CNN, nothing. I thought, are you kidding me? Is Tennessee not that important? So then I thought, well, I'll check with Earthquake Watch. So I went on Earthquake Watch, and the, the, the closest tremor to us that day was in Anchorage, Alaska. So now I'm, I'm bewildered. I'm like, oh, I have had a real-time experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it was an earthquake. So uh, if you remember, I, I called Sapraza, our friend, uh, who I'm going to see uh, soon, and um, I said, Sapraza, this is what happened. And he said, oh, you know, maybe the Lord is showing you what's coming and he's going to protect you. And I was like, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not doubting that, but because that day we had a breakout session that day here at church. The service went completely in a different direction. We, we just worshiped at the very end and and uh, Alberto and Kimberly Rivera were up here and they were singing. And so I said, it was, it was a breakout day. Furthermore, I said, we've been having these, these things that are happening. Like eight, eight deaf people have been healed. Uh, people's eyesight is gradually getting better. And so when I told him that, he's like, oh, I know what this is. He said, this is a, you have had a major heavenly encounter. So I thought, huh. And so, so I'm telling David, uh, telling David uh, Campbell this. I said, David, this is what's going on. I said, but I don't, know, I don't know what this means and I don't know what to do. And he responded in the most unusual way. Was it, was it the, the response I was expecting? He said, well, then you better find out what to do. <laughs> and I, I just looked at him. I was like, well, yeah. And he said, you know, he said, Jeff, then we, you know, for us as leaders, what that means is, is you, you get in line with what he's doing. You try to come alongside what he's doing. You get prayed up, you get fasted up, you get worshiped up. 
but you do everything that you can to find out what's going on. What is he doing? Because if he's pouring something out and we as leaders are not able to come alongside and facilitate it, it's just going to be poured out and it'll be mess. It'll be missed. So I was like, wow. So that was back in January. That word that, that he gave me has been haunting me. It, 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 it comes up in the middle of the night or in the middle of the morning and, and reminds me. And so I, so I, I read something. Um, it reminded me of Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. So the 10 virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. And I've listened to different sermons. I've read different uh, uh, scholars' uh, interpretations and comments, and and I'm not going to extrapolate on those. What I am going to point to is it seems to me that I'm not going to point to what one was missing and what one had, which was really, which was oil. I want to point to the mindset behind the ones who didn't have it. I believe that the mindset of the unwise virgins was this. We'll catch up to the bridegroom when he shows up. When he shows up, we'll catch up. thought, Lord, oh, Lord, don't let that be me. I said, Jeff, why are you saying this? Because as I was reflecting on vacation, like I do, I started looking at all of the signs of him either coming or him being here. I think it's being here and coming. And all of the words, we have all of these prophetic words, church. People randomly from all over the world, the Lord waking them up, don't even know who we are. Saying, this is, this, there's a move, there, there's a movement, there's revival coming to your house. And up until then, I've just been going, wow, this is awesome. until I read that about the the virgins. All of them were saved. Five thought that they would catch up to the bridegroom when he shows up. Church, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because I believe if we're not careful when he shows up, we are gonna have the same mindset thinking that we can catch up to him when we have it prepared our hearts, yeah. So, I was thinking about the different signs. I remember, I can't tell you how many years ago, but there's a little boy sitting about right here, one, two, three, four, during worship, and um, Nobody praying for him during worship. He had a degenerative eye disease. And as a result, he had really thick glasses that he was wearing. And he's probably eight or nine years old. And as you would, would understand, any, any child that age would carry a tremendous amount of shame. The doctors had told his parents that, unfortunately, this is incurable. And it's going to gradually get worse until he loses his sight. Year after year after year, his parents would go to the annual doctor visit, and even though they would hear the progression of his disease get worse, something inside of them would hold on to but God. Well, one day, that God showed up, and that little boy was sitting over there. Nobody, he saw a bright light shine down on him, and he looked up and went, oh, and looked at, you know, and then looked around, trying to get his, eye, pulled his glasses off, was looking around. He's like, oh, 
could see. Put his glasses back on and he couldn't see. He took his glasses off and he could see and he folded them up and he handed them to his dad and said, hey, I don't need these anymore. Yeah. So the dad, the dad thought he was trying to get out of wearing the glasses, so he made his son put them back on. Just like, come on, dads, that's what we do, right? So the parents weren't convinced until they get a phone call either the next day or the next day from his teacher at school saying, what has happened to your son? So what do you mean? Well, he sits at the back of the classroom and he's reading the board without his glasses. What has happened? But God. That's one of the signs. We've, and we've got tons. Uh, another sign that I was thinking about, well, again, the day that the cell phone went off in our staff meeting and this voice says, it is God's plan to bring transformation to your city. And we're like, wow. And once we, you know, you've heard me tell the story, negated, checked off everything that it could possibly be and it wasn't. You know, the, the ringer was turned off, the volume was turned down, there was no possible way that this could, could, could have happened. And then we realized that was God. And then we sat in that was God for a couple of three or four years. That was God, that was God. Wasn't that amazing? That was God. Not realizing, hey, he actually meant something by that. He's actually meaning something. This is actually an invitation. He's actually inviting you to partner with him, Jeff. Say, oh, that means we've got to do something. I thought it was going to be like, oh, we've got to do something. And so I'm, I'm beginning to go, oh, is that relaxed position that I'm taking a mindset of an unwise virgin? Because anytime that the Lord shows up, someone has to change. And the thing about him being a king is actually we're the ones that do the bending. We bend to him. He doesn't bend to us. And so I'm saying that because this is not about me. This is about us. This is about you. I just happen to have the microphone. I didn't bring any of you here. He did. So you didn't hear my call. You didn't hear the purpose coming from my lips. You heard it coming from his about you. And the Lord just happened to bring a group of like-minded people with a corporate call on their life to step into and partner with the God of the amazing, the God of the impossible, and to be stretched to do something with him. The message that, that I have been focused on, that I can't move off of, that I wish I could move off of it, I was raised that the definition of a bore, someone who's boring, is someone who keeps making their point over and over and over. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, so somehow I've got to get that dislodged from my thinking because the Holy Spirit won't let me progress on this message further than I, I would love to be down the road. I'd love to be talking about what, what, is, what, what, what Jesus paid for in our body, for our healing. I, would lo- I can't wait to get onto that. But the Holy Spirit keeps pulling me back and I can't keep from coming back. And so, um, so, so anyway, I, I, I share that to let you know that I, I realize that we have to hear something, well, how many times is it? Seven? Seven times before we retain it. This is not about just retaining it, this is about living it. So, Lord, I ask for 
grace. Lord, I ask in my own life, would you deliver me from arrogance? I ask, Lord, for new lenses for our eyes, our spiritual eyes, new ears, new understanding. Lord, I ask, Lord, would you, would you pour out, Lord, a spirit of understanding upon this house, Lord, upon each of us? I'm still praying. I'm just talking and praying. One of the things that I was saying that art, I mean, that listening is an art, is that we, we, I have this tendency to, again, keep it up here, not listening for, not listen for anything new. I mean, listen, listening to everything new and not, not getting the things that I've already listened to. And so, Lord, I ask that you would, we, we ask, Lord, for grace. I ask, Lord, for grace for each person here this morning. I pray that, that the Holy Spirit would pull on the reins of your understanding and make room for your heart to experience the living truth about who Jesus is. The living truth, living understanding. Not mental assent, but living understanding. I ask, Lord, for the transformation power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts. Because if he doesn't enlighten our hearts, we will not know the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of Christ. Not going to know it. We can read about it, but you won't experience it. And so, Lord, I ask, Lord, that for every single person, including myself, thank you, Lord, that there's no coincidences. There's no coincidence that you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, with what I just said, I am following the Holy Spirit as best as I know how. And I, as we are moving forward, we're going to continue to look back and bring forward, to look back, and bring forward, to look back, and bring forward. Because there's something I believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting to get into the hearts of all of us. Jeff, you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God to its fullest extent. Do you realize, church, do we realize that the word of God is eternal? So what does that mean? That means you can read the same verse over and 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 over till you pass out of this life and you'll continue to get something from the same verse. So, well, Jeff, why why, why do you say that? Because it says that the word of God is living. Boom, 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 boom. It's active. And so, church, we have got to cause our minds to slow down and allow our hearts to catch up to the living and the activeness of his word. This is an invitation. It's just an invitation. All he's do- it's kind of like he said to the, to the church in uh, Laodicea. I'm not making this correlation with us, but he made this. He said, oh, you, you think that you're rich. You don't need anything, but you're actually, you don't realize you are blind, naked, and poor. It's like, oh, well, I didn't realize that. It wasn't a judgment. It was an invitation. And so I feel like there's an invitation for us. The other piece of this is that verse in Acts where the angel told the apostles once he released them from prison, here's your instructions. Go stand and speak to the, pe- to, in the, to the people in the temple the whole message 
of this life. Church, I believe most of us are familiar with a part of the message. We're familiar with the getting saved part and what he paid for. We're not as familiar with the healing part that he paid for. It's okay. But this is the whole message of this life. There's gonna be more parts of this message. So the thing that, this is what I want us to do is like, Lord, would I, I give you permission to begin to speak to me, even through the same scriptures that I already know, new dimensions, new facets of who you are, new revelation of who you are. Far be it from us, God, that we would say that we've got this just because we've read it a few times. When we were, I'm, I'm doing these, I'm reaching back right now, I'm pulling these three verses that we continue to look at. Again, just to reiterate, it's, it's profound when you think of the, uh, of the intentionality that, G, that God had with Moses in the fact that the Israelites saw the raw power of God, the raw power of God. Now, I'm not talking about just the 10 plagues. I'm talking about getting to the ocean and an army, the enemy army coming in and surrounding them and the raw power of God parting, splitting the ocean and these million plus people get to walk through on dry land. That is the raw power of God. It's never been done before. The raw power of God, they actually saw it. They actually experienced the raw power of God. Another example is here in Exodus 25 and Exodus 24. In the, in the previous chapter, God told Moses, hey, I wanna meet with you. And, uh, and so he calls him to the mountain. And so Moses walks up to the mountain and, and walks up the mountain and God is explicit he said, don't let anybody else touch this mountain. This mountain is holy. Don't even let your animals touch it because if they do, they're gonna die. Anyone that touches it, it's gonna die. And so to make his point, he lit the mountain on fire. It's this inferno. Moses is in there. The point that I'm wanting to make is Moses was in there for six days before the Lord spoke to him. Think he's trying to get his attention? He's trying to get his attention because he, he's letting Moses sit there for six days. I can't, I don't even know, I can't imagine what that's like. Did I miss it? Did I, did I hear from him? Does it, do you mean like this Sunday or next Sunday? Was it because I'm, maybe I got my week off. And he's sitting there and then on the seventh day, the Lord says, okay, this is what I want you to, this is what I want to tell you. I want you to build me a tabernacle. I'm going to give you the dimensions. I'm going to give you what it's made of. I'm going to give you the, the colors. I'm going to give you everything has to be exact, exact. And this is the part that when you're reading in scripture, this is the part that puts me to sleep. I'm not a handyman. I don't know what a cubit is. I'm not a do-it-yourself guy. I hire people. So I, I'm, I'm bored with this, but yet the Lord is saying, no, no, this is really important. So important. And then he says, when you build this place called the atonement, and he gave him the dimensions, 45 inches by 27 inches on top of it. I want two, I want you to make from gold, two angels that are like this stretched out over it. And in that place, right there, I will meet you. You're like, okay. I'm, I mean, all right. Why? You, you, you own the entire planet. You, you spoke the universes into existence. Why? You're everywhere. You're all-knowing, you're all-powerful, you're everywhere at all times. What is so significant about this one little rectangle? And you're telling me this is the place I will meet you. 
Not anywhere else, but right here. I mean, you're God, you can do whatever you want. He's pointing to something. He's pointing to someone who's coming. He's pointing. He's emphasizing at the place of atonement, at the place where where blood was spilled, on the place where you have made a sacrifice, on the place where you have repented of your sins and you have made a sacrifice and blood was spilled, I can only meet you there. Some of your translations call the atonement cover the mercy seat. I heard someone say this, that until the mercy seat was sprinkled with blood, it was a judgment seat. It's the blood that causes us to walk in mercy. This place where he says, I'm going to meet you, can be read one of two ways. One way is, is okay, this is the place where I got voted off the island. So I need to come back to make amends so I can be voted back on the island. And this is the place when Adam and Eve sinned. This is the place where mankind lost favor. They lost whatever. They lost everything. But more importantly, God is saying, I can't meet with you except through the blood. And so for the first time, we see the heart of a father trying to get back to his kids. And he can't get back to his kids because of this chair that I had up here. (laughs) Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Remember that? Some of you do. There we go. No, no. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The legs are the foundation of this chair. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It's what his government sits on. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God now, because he's sitting on righteousness and justice, justice has to be administered. It's part, of the, it's part of his kingdom. It's part of, 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 uh, of who he is. It's part of the holiness. It's part of, uh, of everything about the kingdom of God. Righteousness and justice. Well, man deserves justice. And with him, there's no tear of justice. It's someone's got to die. Something has to die. It's like, I don't even understand what kind of thinking that is. But something has to die. And that's the beauty. This is the eternal message. This is the gospel because we find out later it was his own son who said, I'll I'll do that. That's why there's no other religion out there where you hear of God dying for the people that he's asking to serve him. I will meet you there. Not only will you meet me there, but I will meet you there. Where? At the place of the blood. At the place of the sacrifice. We good? Okay. Psalms 103. You're going to see that there's a little bit of repetition in what I'm talking about. And again, it's because I believe that the Holy Spirit is trying to pull the reins back on our intellect and allow our heart room to be able to grasp what, is, what the Scripture is talking about. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, Praise his holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What benefits? We have benefits? There's actually benefits? There's actually benefits? Who forgives all your sins. Who heals all your diseases. Who forgives all your sins. We've got to stop there because we can just blaze right past that. In order for forgiveness to happen, something has to die. 
In order for forgiveness to happen, something had to die. Back in the Old Testament, it was an animal. The blood had to be shed in order for there to be the extension of forgiveness. Who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases. All, all. They're the same. The, the, the provision for my forgiveness is the same as the provision for my healing. It's Jesus. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Church, the reason we have to get this is because most of us have our, the, the, ba- the truth of this, the basis of truth uh, for the truth of this is usually uh, rest in him being in a good mood or me having a good day. If I don't have a good day, I don't qualify for that. If he's not in a good mood, he doesn't qualify, I don't qualify for that. But the wrath of God was absorbed by Jesus. Done. Jesus took it. Jesus took your wrath. He took my wrath. Keep going. Getting pulled out. The mercy of forgiveness is the same as the mercy of healing. The one who heals all is as permanent as the one who forgives all. Get your cameras out. I'm about to switch this. I'm going to show you a verse. Get your camera out. Get your, get your phone out. Oh, no, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. It'll be the next one. Hold it. But get it out anyway. Get it out. What are we talking about? In Leviticus 17:11, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. The life of the body, back then it was a bull or a sheep or a goat or a ram or a dove. The life of the body is in its blood. Moving forward, Jesus, we know, what is, the life, what, what is the life of the blood of Jesus? What does that represent? The life of the body is in its blood. The life of the body of Jesus. It's divine, it's eternal. Now get your phones out. (laughs) Psalms 49, seven through nine. No man can pay for the life of anyone else. No one can give God what that would cost. The price for a life is very high. No payment is ever enough. No one can pay enough to live forever and not rot in the grave. Who can be saved? Ah, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are are possible. No man can pay for the life of anyone else. And yet we see in Job 33, deliver him from going down into the pit of destruction. I have found a ransom. I have found a life. I have found a substitute. That's what he said, I have found an atonement. He's pointing to Jesus. He has found an atonement. He has found a, Jeff, I found a substitute for you. The stuff that you've done, you're no longer guilty because I'm gonna take that out on him. The healing that you're asking for, I have found your substitute. I have found Jesus, I have found the one. I have found a ransom. I have found one whose life was actually would 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 uh, uh, t- some would do the sum total of, of the amount that I'm looking for. It's in my son, the holy, the holy Lamb of God. Oh, now 
his blood, his life. I would write off your debt. I would write your debt off if it was my son. You know what? You don't, you don't owe me anything if it's my son. The payment and the penalty were paid by this one, Jesus. My payment and my penalty were paid for by Jesus. The, there's, a, there's a question that I feel like the Lord is asking of us as a church, and it'll probably be interlaced throughout the course of, of this, however long this teaching goes, I don't know. And the, the real-time question for us that the Holy Spirit is always pulling up for us is pointedly is, where's your faith? Where's my faith? This question came from um, when Jesus was asleep on the boat and all of his professional fishermen uh, disciples were afraid for their lives. Evidently, there's a storm so great that, that these men combined in their experience had never seen anything like it. They were scared to death and they woke Jesus and they, asked, they, they said, don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care? How can you be asleep? And Jesus wakes up and he calms the sea and he asks them, where is your faith? And the, the, the question is such a great question because if he were to ask us, where is your faith? Jeff, where is your faith? Most of the time when we hear uh, the, the word faith or, or, or a question like this, where is your faith? We, we start to think of quantity. And so when, when the disciples asked Jesus, would you increase our faith? We, just, we don't have enough faith. Increase our faith. And he says, well, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which, by the way, you, the parents, your kids are coming home today with three mustard seeds. One of the classes is because I was like, what are you wearing? Why, why, what's, the, what's the glass jar that you're wearing? Because it didn't look, didn't, look, look, look. <laughs> didn't look like anything was in there. He said, oh, it's a mustard seed. I was like... Jesus is saying, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, it's not the quantity, it's the focus. Most of us, if we were to answer the question, where's your faith, would say, it's in my faith. My faith is in my faith. If I have enough, then this is gonna happen. If I don't, I will obviously look at my life. It's like, no, no, that's not the focus of your faith. The focus of your faith, the works that you do is believe on the son of God. That's the work that you do. The work that we do is to believe on him that God sent. That's the work. Right now, the common denominator is me. This is our, and it's like, no, it's because our faith is not focused. Our faith has got to be focused in knowing what he did, what he's doing, what he did. So, where's your faith? In Luke 7, verse 1, we read this a couple of weeks ago. We're going back around again because the Holy Spirit is pulling on the reins of our mind in order to allow our spirit to catch up. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help this man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. 
I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the, officer, the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Interesting statement, interesting in so, on so many levels. On, on the one hand, there, this was such a breakthrough in Scripture, such a breakthrough, because up until then, up until Luke 7, everyone that wanted healing or a miracle from Jesus had to go to him and get physically touched. The woman, even the woman with the issue of blood who realized I can't touch anybody because I'm going to make them unclean. She thought, well, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm not touching him. I'll still get healed. But in order for that to happen, she had to physically be there. This guy, this Gentile had a revelation. This man was still at home. So the question that says, it says that Jesus uh, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Like, where is the faith? How do you see faith? Is this me? Because with the paralytic that, that we had talked about a few weeks earlier than that, they got let down through the roof of someone's house. And when Jesus saw huge interruption, not to mention damage control, but when the, when the man was, was set down, Jesus looked up and saw those four heads of those men who had let him down, peering down over the roof into the room. And, and he says, it says he saw their faith and he looked at that man and said, your sins are forgiven. So I understand that. He saw their faith. They were, they were right there. He could see it. He could see the faith that they had. If we could just get this man, our friend, in front of Jesus, he'll be healed. That's faith. This guy wasn't even in the same region. So how would Jesus see faith like his? What was he looking at? How did he realize this? Where was the faith of this man? Did you catch it? Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. His faith was in the word of Jesus, not the location of Jesus, but a word from where he was. This is profound. This is profound. This revelation that this man had was your breakthrough. Because the same access that he got you now have. Just say the word. The same access point. We just need a word from Jesus. Just send your word. So it's good, it, this is really good news really good news. We have direct access to him, the same direct access. We reach out, we receive healing, deliverance, believing him on his word. Jeff, your mistake is you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. The power that is in the word of God, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. This is the invitation church that he's inviting us into. We are on the prep precipice. We're on the precipice of something opening up. Before all this happens, we've got to get something settled in our hearts. Turn to John chapter 18. John 18 verse 34 or 33, Pilate and Jesus are having a conversation. 
Jesus has been brought to Pilate and he's about to be crucified. Pilate's trying to determine who is this guy. I don't see any guilt in him. I don't understand why they're asking me to kill him. This is bizarre. So he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. And for this, I have been born. And for this, I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Oof. came to testify of the truth. Everyone who hears, who hears the truth, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate, ask a great question. What is truth? What is truth? How would you define truth? How do you, if someone said, well, how do you know something's true? Oh, I mean, Jeff, you can just feel it. I can just, I just know. I can just, I can just tell. I can just tell, I can tell when someone's lying. I can tell whether or not what they're saying is true or not. Phew, it's gotta be something bigger than that. Greater than that. Truth for most of us, it's something that's subjective. It's just something that I feel. It's something that I, if I don't, you know, I, I just have a good feeling about it. Another way that I've, another thing, a form that I've seen people determine truth is by consensus. If the masses are talking about it, it's got to be true. Can I read you something about that one? I don't have a slide for this. I just got this during worship. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. This is about King Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And they're about to go to war together to fight the enemy. In verse five, so in verse four, um, the king said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are and your people are as, are as my people, your, my horses as your horses. So in other words, yes. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400, 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. 400, 400 prophets said, yep, this is the Lord, go. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, yeah, there's one man, but he never gives me the, 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 the word that I'm looking for, basically. That's my paraphrase. So I don't like him. I didn't realize that that's what he said and how pertinent that is to me. Verse 19. So they found this prophet. Micaiah, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> this is Micaiah said, um, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. So this is the prophet because he, he, he prophesied to, uh, uh, to, to, to uh, Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Yeah, just go ahead. That's what they said. Go ahead and do it. And so one of them, one of the kings said, hey, tell me the truth. Oh, okay. If you want the truth, then this is what I'm going to tell you. And he said, this is what I saw. 
Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one, one said this while another said that. Verse 21, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. The consensus, it's gotta be truth. 400 people said, it's gotta be something greater than that to gauge, to measure truth. There's be something greater than that, folks. John 17, 17, Jesus defines what truth is. Some of your versions, it says, sanctify them in the truth. He's talking about his disciples. Use the truth to make them holy. Your word is truth. There it is. The word of God is the true north that will adjust and guide your internal compass. Not my feelings. I can't go by my feelings. I can't, there has to be something greater, not the masses. It has to be what they are saying. Is it lining up with the word of God, with who he says he is, his character, his nature? Is it lining up? That has to be truth. Right now, all, we've got so many people, including my, that are prone to, they don't know which way north is. Their north has been skewed. It's what I feel. My north, my true north is what I feel. My true north is what the masses are saying. No, it's the word of God. And until the word of God becomes truth, it's not going to have power, the power that it needs to break open the things that you're asking for. That's the thing. We don't believe in the word, and yet we're asking for the word. It's like, well, you're, it's an oxymoron thing. It's like, are you kidding me? And so there has to be a place where we begin to take him at his word. It's living, it's active. It's living, it's active. It's absolute. It says in, the, in scripture that every word of God is settled. The word of God is settled in heaven. He does nothing without his word. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word. Oh, I just said that. He sent out his word and healed them. The Roman officer, just send the word. Just send your word and my servant will be healed. He sends his word. He still sends his word. He still does that. These signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These are the words of Jesus. It's an absolute. Let's stand. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We come before you because of the blood of Jesus and we are forever grateful. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you as we are finding out your plan, your purpose for our life, for our payback, our buyback, for our redemption, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for what your sacrifice means for us and the benefits. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting your benefits. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you, would you remove this lethargic, 
spirit that, that makes us apathetic towards your word? And you were, would you replace it with an appetite? Would you replace this, Lord, with an appetite? Give us an appetite for your word. Your word is true. Your word calls us to slow down. It's not about blazing through and reading the Bible in a year. It's about catching what you're reading. Lord, but we avail ourselves, we position ourselves to be a people who know the scriptures and we know the power of God. We know where the power of God resides. It's in the sacrifice of your son. I will meet you there. We step inside Jesus. We step inside. We find our place of safety inside of Jesus. Thank you so much.